And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. The World Cup is just days away. We've done all of our World Cup previewing. We've analyzed the USMNT for literal years. It is almost here. We're almost on our way to New York. Graham Ruthven, how goes packing? Are you bringing a suitcase of Iron Brew? Uh, What are the other essentials you're bringing along with you? At least one suitcase of Iron Brew and another one for my jerseys, of course. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to need some help it. getting onto the plane. <laughs> and a coat. Graham's bringing jerseys, iron brew, and one coat. No pants. It's going to be awkward. Yeah, Donald Ducking for the whole tournament. <laughs> uh, Joe Lowry, what are your staples for a 5 a.m. kickoff? Does your zeal for advanced <laughs> statistics and international soccer keep you plenty awake? No, no, it does not. Um, essentials, man. I'm trying to remember back to it was that USA Japan game that kicked off at like 5 a.m. my time, I believe. And that was definitely worth getting up for. Um, What got me through that was just like holding my eyelids awake, like holding them open such that I tried to stay awake and and engage what was going on. Also, the DVR is very important because, Ah. yeah, the odds of me making it up for all of these 5 a.m. Eastern time kickoffs for the World Cup are... Are, are low, and they get a little lower as the group stage goes on. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about that as well. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not a morning person, but I'm definitely better late at night rather than early in the morning. I feel like Ryan might be one of these, like, seize the day, uh, wake up early moments. Like, yeah. he'll be away for his jog hip, at hip, 6 a.m. Let's get we- up and watch. first of all an excellent ryan bailey second of all graham i share your concern that he's gonna be up at 4 30 running like a 10k and then coming back to us and just acting like oh are you all just waking up oh you poor lambs (laughs) so okay so i'm looking through the different early kickoff games so i'm gonna Mm -hmm. i'm gonna run through them now and we can decide how compelling we think they are and how eager we think we're gonna be so the the first one (laughs) There's not one on Sunday or on Monday. So the yeah. first one comes on Tuesday. It's Argentina, Saudi Arabia. Grant, uh, Graham, sorry, rate, rate it out of 10. Uh, that's a solid four out of 10. I, okay. I, I, like, I know how that one's going to go. I know what sure. the result's going to be. So there's not much suspense, suspense to it. All right. So then we've got Morocco, Croatia on Wednesday and Switzerland, Cameroon on Thursday. I'm kind of intrigued by both of those games, especially because they're, they're towards the beginning of this group stage, and we're going to learn a lot about those teams. But then, Taylor, on Friday, it's Wales-Iran. Tell me that's not going to be just that that gif of nobody really going to kick the ball and standing across the way from each other. Like, that's that's what it's going to be, right? Yeah, that was going to be rough. I mean, now that we said that, it's going to be 4-3. to three, But it does feel very much like a game that if your chair is too comfortable, you're going to wake <laughs> up to the post-match commentary as opposed to kickoff. Could be. There's a couple more of those, but I mean... We're going to be hyped, right? We're going to be all together. It's going to be fun. We're going to be doing live shows. We're going to be doing extra shows for the Patreon. It's going to be fun, guys. Yeah, I mean, now now that it is here, I have to admit that 
I am excited. I didn't feel that last week at all. I'm I'm feeling it now. And obviously, in a sense, I am conflicted because of everything that comes attached to this World Cup. And in a sense, I guess we are complicit as much as we don't yeah. want to be because that, that is how sports washing works. But um, I kind of also, I've been thinking about this the last few days, I, I kind of also refuse to let these people take something Mm-hmm. like the world cup which i just think is such a we've spoken about this before it's like it's a, it's a carnival it's, it's a reflection of i think good people and good in the world and I, I just refuse to let them completely hijack it so obviously it's an individual decision on whether you want to engage fully on this world cup but i personally am going to try and enjoy this world cup almost in defiance of qatar the, the world cup yeah. doesn't belong to them it, it belongs to us yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree with you, Graham. I've heard plenty of people say uh, they're protesting the World Cup. They're not going to be watching. They're going to be listening to us for coverage. We very much appreciate that to, to people who are making that choice. Uh, but I don't judge people who do watch uh, because it's the World Cup. It's a thing that's such an important event to to me, speaking for myself and, and to us, I think, as a unit. And so... I think there is that like that hesitation that we're going to get coverage that praises Qatar and talks about how great they are and the streets are so clean and everything's so wonderful. But what I'm appreciating thus far is the like the little stances that are being taken. The U.S. having like a rainbow badge at their training yeah. facility. The U.S. and and I believe England both uh, doing training sessions with migrant workers in Qatar. I think there's things that teams are doing to just try to kind of like. I don't know, basically walk that line too, because I think there's plenty of players who aren't thrilled to be there, plenty of coaches who don't want to be there either, but it's the World Cup, so you got to go. Uh, but you can take those little stances along the way just to to make sure that, I don't know, at the very least, you feel like you're keeping your soul intact a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I read uh, Sam and Paul's dispatch this morning from um, from Qatar for The Athletic, and in there was some quotes from Matt Turner, who um, had a, a groin injury, picked up a groin injury a, a couple of weeks ago in Arsenal training. And it's thankfully not that serious an injury, and it seems like he's going to be okay. But he spoke uh, about basically how he was on the verge of tears, like yeah. the thought of him not being at the World Cup or even not being in perfect condition for the World Cup. And I think that just kind of hit ho- hits home how... Yes, these are, it's easy to demonize these like rich young men on TV, but playing at a World Cup is a lifelong ambition for these guys. And my overarching feeling with this World Cup is like, how dare you hijack those emotions for, for like your sports washing project? And I'm just, I'm just, again, I have to recognize it on some level. We have to talk about it, but on another level, like, I'm just not going to let them do that during our, our, our coverage of this tournament. Joe, have you have you felt the pangs of jealousy yet? Because I had not until I think Paul and Sam and Felipe were posting, uh, like it was Morocco fans walking around chanting and banging drums and singing, and there was that moment of like, I that, that could be fun. It could be cool <laughs> to be there. Uh, and and I think that's that's the thing where I'm 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 very glad we're not going there. I'm really glad we're doing our own thing in New York, and more on that in a second. But yeah, I'm wondering, are are you feeling a little a little bit jealous not to be there in person? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it would be incredible to cover something like this in in person. And my my personal ambitions as someone who covers mm-hmm. the sport is is to do things like that as often as possible. I'm excited not to take away from all the stuff that we're doing. I'm incredibly excited that we're going to be able to get together. That we're going to have mm-hmm. not just one but a couple of different live events that people can come to. We're hoping to play some pickup soccer as well. And so I, I think we're going to have a really good time in New York. And I, I'm excited for both the next month for TSS and sort of what what continues to come after that. Yeah, 2026 isn't too far away either, and and there's other big events between now and then, the Women's World Cup next year, other things like that I think are going to be great opportunities as well. 
I needed that pick-me-up, Joe. Thank you for that. Also, the reminder that uh, if we were there in person, coverage gets way harder, and we're not able yeah. to, to watch as many games. We're not going to be able to do the reviews we're going to be doing now. So, uh, And we won't be waking up at 5 a.m. if we were in Qatar. But now we get to. We get to see how each other act in the tangle. morning and all be annoyed with Ryan Bailey when he's up for a jog at 4 a.m. <laughs> uh, Graham, speaking of New York, though, we do have a live show, I believe. Yeah, we might have mentioned it once or twice once over or twice. the last few weeks, but we promise... This is the, the last plug for yeah. TSS Live from New York, the final call. So there are still some tickets available for our live show on Sunday, this Sunday at Littlefield in Brooklyn. It'll be a really fun night. Tickets are $25 plus booking fee. The venue is really cool. There's a bar. Ryan's bringing, Ryan's bringing his guitar. Don't worry. <laughs> we're going to stop him from playing Three Lions before it gets to that stage. Um, so yeah, please Will come you? along. Will you? Is that a promise? Uh, yes, if he starts playing it, okay, you're yes, going to rugby guitar. tackle him like that. Like that video, <laughs> I think I tweeted out a few weeks ago at the Cavern That's Club. Right. That's right. <laughs> that was Sweet Caroline, though. But similar, similar vibe, similar principle. So yeah, right. please come along if you can. As I say, a few tickets still available for that. And then we have the the TSS World Cup watch party that the following Sunday, November twenty seventh. That's during the the Spain Germany game. The match will be going on the big screens. We've hired out the entire bar. It's all ours. There will be a quiz and some prizes, and that one will be, as the title suggests, a, a, a bit more of a party, a little a little bit more un- informal. And I'm I'm really looking forward to that as well. So tickets are fifteen dollars plus booking fee. Please find the like the link to both events in the description for this show and also on social media. And then finally. We have our TSS World Cup Plus Patreon page, which launched mm-hmm. yesterday. And thank you to everyone who's already become a member. There are three different tiers. The top two give you access to the TSS World Cup Plus Discord. Oh, yeah. And the chat is already flowing in there about the USMNT and weirdly donuts. That was, I was, that was just a topic say, of. I was just going to say, Graham, we already had some good donut chat. Uh, I, I tossed in some donut takes. It's been fun so far. US yeah. staff, donuts. I mean, there's been a bunch of other stuff too, but those have been the highlights so far for me. I, I, I get the feeling things might get a bit weird in there, but weird is uh, weird's good in my book. Yeah, and no. us. Yeah, so if you want if you want more weirdness and us, then uh, the TSS World Cup plus Patreon and the Discord is, is the place for you. So yeah, that's all the ways that you can engage with TSS during the World Cup, and we very much appreciate your support. And it should be it should be fun. At the risk of spoiling that good, good Patreon content, Joe, what was one of the donut takes? Like, was it about which ones you like? Or was it about you don't like donuts at all? I, I need information. So, so far we had a take that, that donut holes were the best kind of donut, mm. um, which I'm honestly not sure how I feel about. I, I can get down with certain particular kinds of donut holes. I tossed out an old-fashioned donut slash donut hole as, as my personal favorite. Um, and then I, I also shared that I have a couple of family members who don't like donuts at all, which just deeply troubles me. Um, so it's sort of been a space for me to toss out bits of information like that and for some slight donut debate as well. Taylor, hop on in there and share your donut takes before yeah. we move on, because maybe we've I, already moved on. But either way, I, w- I was out this morning doing running some errands before I, I, I travel to New York uh, tomorrow. And sat down at Krispy Kreme just to basically hijack their, their Wi-Fi and, and grab a coffee. This elderly woman sat down opposite me with a box of six donuts and polished that whole box off in 30 <laughs> minutes like it was a Man V Foods challenge. It was quite remarkable. And I just thought, imagine that was your life. Like, Mabel, what are you doing this uh, late morning on a, on a Thursday? I'm just going down to Krispy Kreme to get absolutely battered through a box of uh, six donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, that's my dream right there. That 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 would be my life is my ultimate goal. Forget World Cups. Yeah, that's that's why I aspire to. <laughs> oh wow, what a moment! I want I want that. I want that in my life. Why don't I get that? Um, I, I'm very jealous of, of six donuts all at once. 
You should it was be. it was sensational. It was like it was a challenge. There was no stopping. As soon as as soon as soon as she sat down, that box was open. There was a donut gone. One already we, gone. Are we talking original glaze? Do they do that in Scotland, or is it just like haggis? Yeah, donuts? it was it was the original glaze. I, see, because I, I was sat there for thirty minutes, I was thinking of the logistics and what our strategy was. And I think if you get some of the like filled ones, then maybe that's a little bit too much yeah, to get through in twenty five minutes. But she clearly was going for the competition eating strategy. She was the the Joy Chestnut of uh, Krispy Kreme this morning, <laughs> and it fe- feels like the. Uh, the glaze is the way to go. I feel like you could polish a few of those off quite quickly. Oh my. Wow. Well, it's evident that Ryan Bailey isn't here because I've let this <laughs> thing get way off the rails pretty quickly. We should talk about actual soccer for a moment and specifically the U.S. men's national team. We're going to do some specific predicting later on. We've got an interview with a USMNT legend still to come. Uh, but Joe, we haven't talked much about the USMNT of late aside from our group B preview uh anything any news that's jumped out to you the answer can be no because as far as i've seen the big talking point from yesterday was tim Weah saying like ask greg berhalter what we're going to do and that has been taken in a number of different directions but i think overall we haven't gotten a ton of info out of the u.s camp uh, i look forward to you proving me wrong on that one no i don't think we've had a ton of info either most of the stuff that i think is noteworthy is on the injury side so mm-hmm. matt turner sounds like he's healthy talks about being 100 percent. so it seems like he will start against wales on, on Monday, which is a good sign for the U.S. because I think he's a difference maker in that spot. Serginho Dest was not training with the first team, at least as of yesterday. So he was off to the side doing some individual work. Apparently it was load management. Uh, that's what U.S. soccer had to say about it. So I don't really know what's going on with Dest at the moment. That is a slight concern. It seems like there's still a few days before the game that he should be fine to go against Wales. But it would not shock me, based off of that, if we saw somebody else And then the last bit that I've seen, at least, is Weston McKinney training with the first team. So he apparently, I believe this was from Michele Giannone, was training with the the regular first team group. So it was Musa, McKinney, Adams in midfield. And interestingly enough, it was Tim Raymond, Walker Zimmerman training in that that back line during that particular session. Again, we're still a number of days out. Like, I would expect training to ramp up a little bit more. Surely. Uh, you would think so, right? But, I mean, Berhalter started Aaron Long in both of those games back in September, and maybe that was one of Berhalter's takeaways after that window, is that, wow, I shouldn't be doing that stuff. I don't know why it would have dawned on him <laughs> then, instead of, like, a year. I, I don't understand. I can't claim to be able to read the tea leaves that Berhalter's trying to also read, and they're also inside his head. I don't know. But those are a few of the interesting notes. Riemann's and Riemann starting together in that particular drill. McKenney back in, Dest off to the side, and Turner healthy. Mostly good signs, I'm going to say, in that grouping. Uh, Graham, so you, you it sounds like, are not surprised that Tim Ream was training with the first team, or at, at the very least you feel like no. that should be the starting pair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, th- I think everyone knows that I'm a big fan of CCV, and if it was Zimmerman that was that was mm-hmm. out, if he was if it, if he was the Miles Robinson, essentially, and for this World Cup, and he was the one that was out injured, then CCV, I would have him over Ream, because CCV has been playing on the right side of, of the back two for Celtic. But I just think Ream, he plays on the left side of that back two for, for Fulham. It's a position that he's more familiar with. He's also got the link with uh, Jedi Robinson down that, down that left side. So th- it's not perfect. I think Ream's lack of pace and just I guess his general age not being able to move as as he was able to a few years ago that's a bit of a concern but yeah I think it will be Zimmerman and, and Reem I'd be, I'd be surprised if it, if it wasn't those two I tell you what let's do this let's take a break then we will come back to talk about Wales drill down on what the tactics are going to be what they're going to look like in that game and then we will get into the US lineups what we would like to see and what we think Greg Berhalter will do back soon 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Let's talk Wales, gentlemen. Ryan Bailey did the preview of Wales. He is not with us today. Uh, but Joe, what are your expectations for the way Wales will approach this opening game? I think Wales are going to force the U.S. to come on to them. I, I think this is the more and more I've been thinking about Group B, the more and more I think that this is a bad group for the U.S. and it's a bad group for England. And I talked about this with Michael Cox on the back you'll show, and it'll be in the Soccer 101 feed as well later this week. You know, sort of talking about how none of these teams want to have the ball, right? And that's a little bit of a concern for the U.S. because I don't think that when it when it really comes down to it, I don't think that they can out antagonist Wales, if that makes sense. Like Wales is going to set up in their own half. They might press occasionally. They're going to force the U.S. to have the ball, and and you really just can't stop them from doing that. I think the U.S. is the more proactive of the two teams. So I'm expecting Wales to be the more defensive team. I'm not expecting them to control possession, at least until the scoreline changes and maybe they need to claw back and get a goal of some kind. I think the U.S. is going to have to do a bit of breaking through Wales, 
which is why, to look ahead a little bit to sort of the lineup that I built out for this game, why I think it would be wise of Berhalter, even if McKenney is fit, to alter his midfield a little bit and, and maybe leave McKenney on the bench or, or leave Musa on the bench, honestly, at the start of this game and get an extra attacker on the field because I think the U.S., like it or not, and I know a lot of folks are saying after that September window, like, oh, the U.S. can just sit back and, and they can play sort of classic American soccer and go attack on the break. I'm not sure they're going to have the opportunities to do that in this group, and, and particularly in this game against Wales. England might be a different story. But I, I think the U.S. is going to be the protagonist here. I kind of hope I'm wrong because I think they're better suited to play on the break at this point. But I, I'm not sure they're going to have a choice in this game, Taylor. So, so Joe, what does your what does your formation, what does your shape look like if you're if you're making those concessions in yeah, midfield? It it looks aggressive, is what it looks like. It either looks like a two three five or a three two five in possession. That that's in particular what I'm trying to talk about here. The four three three press is going to be there. That defensive shape is an easy one to revert back into, and I would be shocked if we see anything other than that because it's worked really well for the U.S. Their defense is the best part of this team, pretty clearly at this point. So I think it kind of depends on if Des can go or not. That does change the shape a little bit. If he can't, I would not be opposed to seeing what we saw back against Morocco in June with the right back staying a little bit deeper to form a back three. Then if you leave McKenny or Musa on the bench, you have the double pivot. So that's the 3-2-5. Then Jedi gets high on the left side. The winger gets high and wide away. does a good job of that, I think, on the right side. And then you've got three attackers sandwiched between those players. Pulisic probably in the left half space. Maybe it's Aronson or Reyna in the right half space. And then whoever we want as the nine sort of in that central area. I think that works really well. You can tinker with that a little bit and and stick somebody else into central midfield. It's going to be fluid. But I think you kind of have to go for it a little bit in this game against Wales, which, again, is maybe not the best thing for this U.S. team. But they are the cards that this group's been dealt. All right, so Joe is going for a Joe. You said two, three, five. Let's just make it like a one, two, seven. Just let's go all out. Why not, <laughs> Graham? What do you think of my one, two, seven approach? I mean, sure, yeah, sounds chaotic, and I, uh, I love chaos. So <laughs> as a neutral, yeah, bring bring it on. Um, the Wales game does make me. I say I say I'm neutral. You're not having spoken about this uh, this US team yeah. all year and spoken with you guys about wave them. that flag, Graham. Wave that flag. I am very much Team USA for this World Cup, yeah. especially after you were drawn into. Group with uh, Wales and England, <laughs> but I have to say um, the Wales game does make me a bit nervous. Um, I've just seen Wales win a lot of these sort of games. I, in a weird way, the England game feels more comfortable for the US, where they might actually be able to play something. I mean, that was the theory previously. I don't know after the September break whether or the September international window whether those theories still stand up. But the old theory was that maybe the US playing against higher caliber opposition might might suit them. So I've still got a little bit of that theory. I'm still hanging on to a little bit of that theory with the England game. But yeah, the Wales and the Iran games, I think they're going to be fairly similar. similar. You're going to have to, you're going to have to break Wales down. I think Gio Reyna, if he's fit enough to start and play the majority of, of that match, I, I would, I would be starting him. I mean, I'd, I'd say that about most games with Gio Reyna because obviously he's te- uh, potentially the USA's best player, but he's one of the few players I think the US who have, have, who could play through a, a low defensive block in the way that he's like good in tight spaces and making things happen in that regard. So, if he can't play it, then maybe I do change the approach in the way that, that Joe's talking about and, and maybe break up the, the shape a little bit. But yeah, I just think doing that at this stage... I mean, Joe, do you think Baralter's going to do that? It feels like he's fairly wed- wedded to 
his methods over the last kind of years, or do you think that's subtle enough that he 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 might do that, and and you could kind of on paper still have it as a four three three? I think it's subtle enough. I, I think Brother's shown a few of those moments where he has tinkered a little bit. Like I don't think you go back into June and do some of those changes, make some of those changes if you're not thinking about actually doing it at a World Cup, right? Otherwise, what's the point? You want to go out and see if it worked. I would argue that a number of the changes did work back in that those those uh, couple of friendlies in June against Morocco and Uruguay to World Cup teams. I think Berother has maybe a, a card or two up his sleeve for this particular matchup and this particular group. I think he sees how defensive these teams are, and I would not be surprised if he makes some changes that, that maybe we're talking about here or maybe ones even that we, we still don't expect. Graham, how important do you think it will be, uh, with you having watched Wales, how important do you think it will be for the United States to be patient, basically? Like, do you think it's, yes. would you rather see them try to blitz Wales, or do you think it's important to just sort of establish your game, establish your rhythms, and then start probing, uh, as time goes on? Yeah, I, I think the I think the US needs to be patient against Wales. I'm trying to go back to the playoff to find out when they when they scored their winner. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was actually fairly it was actually fairly early on. So Bale scores in the 34th minute. But I have seen a number of games from Wales where they themselves are very patient and they basically ask teams to to, to break them down. I'm trying to find there was a late winner. So the 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 Wales Austria game, Bale scores in the first half, then he scores in the in the second half. Um, so I guess this isn't really backing up my theory, but nonetheless, I, I think the US needs to stay patient against Wales. They are a difficult team to break down. They're maybe deceptively better. I did look through their, I did look through their squad and their team and the team that's likely to play. And that there are a lot of, you know, obviously everyone's eye is drawing to, drawn to Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. There's a lot of Premier League players in there. A lot of players, or not a lot of players, a couple of players playing in, in Serie A and some of the European leagues as well. Ethan Ampadu playing in, in, in European football at the moment. So it feels like a nasty draw for the USA where people will expect the USA to go in and, and kind of blitz Wales and Wales are experienced at just soaking that up and then score, scoring a, a winner and edging it out. I don't think there'll be many goals. I think that that game is going to be decided by one goal and whoever, well, state the obvious, whoever scores it is going to win the game. That's kind of how I, I see that game going and that's one of the things that makes me nervous because it feels like if there's an early goal in the first half then that, that might just kind of be it. I mean, Wales closed out Ukraine in that playoff final, scored in the first half and that, and that was it for Ukraine. Forgive me, Graham, if this is like an oversimplification, but if we're trying to give the sort of bullet points, the cliff notes uh, for Wales, is it basically uh, sitting deep, uh, countering effectively, targeting Gareth Bale when they can, and then utilizing uh, set pieces? That's a thing yes, we've seen from yeah, them in the past. Definitely. The Welsh tactical column, I'm assuming they will resurrect that one. Uh, are there any other specifics you think U.S. fans should be on the lookout for, either positive or negative? Set pieces is the big one. I know you mentioned that there, but I was going to add that. I thought we were going to leave that off the list. But whether it's a, a bail shot on, on goal from a free kick or whether it's corners or crosses into the box, they are, they're very good at that. I, w- I would say the US also has the potential to be good from set pieces. Um, got a couple of big guys, particularly if, if Reem is the one that starts alongside Walker Zimmerman, I would say that the US should fancy their chances of kind of repelling Wales in the set pieces, set piece area, but they do need to, Keep their concentration. It'll be it'll be difficult, and obviously in a, in a World Cup setting, to to make sure that you don't have those lapses. But yeah, I think you pretty much hit every area that this Wales team, this Wales team, look, they're they're, they're the way they play, their approach is fairly simplistic, but they're very good at it. And I think that's a good formula at international football. You don't want to overcomplicate things. That's maybe something that is 
that um, Berhalter is accused of, maybe overloading players with a little bit too much information. Wales and, and Rob Page, they, they don't do that. It's a simple game plan, but it's a really effective one. Joe, I, I'm inclined to see Tim Ream training with the first team if we're going to assume that means he is playing for the first team, which I'm going to go with for now. That means to me that the United States less concerned about the like the rapid-fire counterattack and maybe more concerned about having possession or the game plan is to have possession, be ball dominant, and and pick their spots wisely. If that is the case, if they are trying to have possession, uh, we don't need to talk about the high line because that gives me too much anxiety. What I will ask you is who are the players that you trust to basically just to be the smartest, to recycle possession instead of having a, a low percentage shot or just keep the ball, draw a foul instead of uh, hoofing it long? Who, who do you sort of look to to be the calm sage heads uh, when this game kicks off? Really, it's it's Musa first and foremost if he's involved in this hmm. game. If we're talking about a guy who's going to put his foot on the ball, slow things down a little bit and, and draw a foul, but also know the right moment to speed up and to break lines on the dribble, it's Musa. Now, he's not so great at recycling possession with his passing, but he's a guy that brings just a calming presence to a game. Reem really is another one. If he plays in this game, I think that is a sign that Berhalter knows, okay, we have to go out there and, and really break through this team. And Reem is absolutely the best center back in the squad at, at doing that kind of thing. Reem will settle the ball. He will cycle it side to side, and he will find moments to break lines with his passing from that left center back spot. Those are the first two names, hands down, that come to mind for me. If Gio Reyna is starting, he's another guy you want on the ball in tight spaces. You want him having to, or, or you want to put him in positions to actually break through and be the, the creative force for this team, maybe even in a way that Christian Pulisic won't be or, or won't do that kind of stuff. So those are a few names. And then maybe Dest as well as someone who can bring a little bit of a calming presence just in that. I know he's kind of a chaotic player, but just in that he is very comfortable having the ball and the U.S. still, for as many things as they do well, still just doesn't have a lot of players who will be comfortable in those kinds of moments. One more for you, Joe. Uh, if in the I, I would assume Dest will be able to play, as you said, load management there. If he couldn't go, though, which of the other fullback options would you be most comfortable uh, seeing Scally. start at right back? I before I could even yeah. answer the question or yeah. ask the question, he's got his answer. That's Yed, what I assumed it would be. Yedlin for me doesn't bring anything on the field at this point. I know that's that's kind of harsh and I don't mean it to be, but I, I just don't love the idea of DeAndre Yedlin playing in a big moment. I, I think it will be Yedlin if Des can't go because he's the only guy in this group that's been to the World Cup before. And I, I do think that matters to an extent, but you, you do have to cover for DeAndre Yedlin, both I think in possession and maybe even out of possession as well. That concerns me, but I would have Scally based off of the level we've seen from him recently and I think sort of the upside that he brings to this team. All right. Well, let's let's do this then. Let's take a look at your respective starting 11s and see if we can come up with a consensus one. I suspect we won't have a ton of difference uh, between the three of us. But if we're assuming it will be Wales uh, sitting deeper, not quite bunkering, but not quite not bunkering. Uh, if we assume it's Wales counterattacking, if it's Gareth Bale doing Gareth Bale things, which doesn't mean golf or sitting on the bench for LAFC, but means somehow being an electric player uh, when he puts on a Wales shirt. Uh, Graham, let, let's come to you first. What is is your uh, who have you got in goal? Let's go. Let's go position by position. Yeah. So Matt Turner. I don't yep. think there's much uh, debate about that one. I did have Ethan Horvath specifically to annoy Joe Lauer. Friendship ended with <laughs> Taylor Rockwell. <laughs> no, I've got Matt Turner as well. Joe, I'm going to assume that that answer means that you do too. Joe, what yes. about your back four? Let's go right to left. All right. So I've got Dest as the right back, Zimmerman mm. as the right sided center back, Tim Ream as the left sided center back, and then Anthony Robinson on the left. Yes. Retweet. 
uh, retweet <laughs> as well. And uh, I should have I should have said this earlier. My approach was basically, as always, mostly what I think Burhalter will do with a little bit of what I would like to see him do. So I don't have any like significant experimentation. I don't suddenly have the U.S. shifting to a back three out of nowhere. It feels like we will get uh, the kind of standard Greg Burhalter four three three is my guess. And with that in mind, Graham, what about that midfield? Uh, it sounds like Joe's going Musa McKinney Adams. No. Yeah. So. Um, oh, interesting. Joe's not going with. No way. So, Joe, what are what are you going for? You go first, Joe. Actually. Yeah. So, I, I, my thought in this game is you go for more of a double pivot in possession and mm. push another attacker onto the field to start this match. So I I've been torn, really, ever since I've been thinking about this about who to put in that double pivot. Tyler Adams, I think, has to be on the field. I've been torn between Musa and McKenney because I, I don't think it makes sense to start all three. And Taylor, I mentioned this in the the BR show we did last week as well. I think for as much as I love Musa, I think I might actually put McKenney on the field for set-piece reasons because he's a much more dangerous set-piece attacker than Musa is. So I've got Adams and uh, and McKenney and then Aronson in my midfield three with that being the defensive trio and then Aronson pushing up into the attacking line in possession. So like a 4-2-1-3, 4-2-3-1, something like that? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like mm-hmm. because Des doesn't hang back and Jedi doesn't hang True. back either. But I think it's going to look fluid. Sometimes a back two in possession, sometimes a back three, which again, that's, that's normal stuff. Like that's not, this is not anything mind blowing here. Brawlthor's done this kind of thing before. I think it makes sense to push somebody up higher into that attacking line. All right. I mean, I, I, I see the appeal there. And I, and I hear often that it should be Gio Reyna as that more creative sense. I love that as well if he's healthy. I, but I, I'm with you. I think Brendan Aronson, it seems to be what he's naturally doing uh, with leads, and it seems to be a thing that I think would get the best out of him. I'm still also of the opinion that Giorena, uh can be a, a pretty effective super sub uh, if if required, and also playing with a chip on his shoulder I do think makes him a better player, uh, at least at this present time. Uh, but Graham, it sounds like Joe sprung a surprise on us, but it sounds like you and I are more in line with the kind of standard MMA midfield. Yeah. I just went full conventional yep. MMA in midfield just because, Joe, there's a lot of solid logic there and you're kind of talking me around a little bit, Aha. but those those September games are still fresh in my mind mm. when it, one of the biggest conclusions coming out of those games, and look, obviously the profile of the teams, and I get that, it's all it's all different, it's not a like-for-like like comparison, but we came out of those September games and went, yeah, Eunice Musa yeah, is important for this team, um, <laughs> so I've just gone with Adams, Musa, and Wait, Okay, so let me ask you, okay, I'll ask Taylor then, I guess, because Graham, I, I hear you on that. Taylor, do you think that Adams, Musa, and McKenney can break down Wales? Yes or no? It's okay if the answer is yes. I mean, I'd love for the answer to be yes. No, I don't. Okay. But I don't have Musa go. being the problem there. I have it being more McKinney who's the problem in that one. Right. So you I can fix I this in your lineup that you're building right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I think, again, I go back to, is Berhalter going to start Adams, Musa, and Aronson? I, I don't think he will. I think hmm. that's too aggressive for the start of a World Cup. I think he'll go with the midfield that has the most reps together, uh, that is training together, and I think he will back... McKinney to basically rein it in a little bit. I think in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying and in certain friendlies, he has more license to roam, more license to to kind of take risks. And I, and I think that's where the, does do they have the ability to break down a defense? My answer being no comes from is I, I think they haven't always done the kind of intricate one and two touch passing to find their way through. It feels like it's it's a little bit slower. It's a little bit more individual. And so that would be my concern. But if there's just, I, I guess, Graham, to your earlier point, like less specific instruction, but also just sort of very basic instruction that they have to follow. I think that makes them a better unit. 
Yeah, and and spoiler alert, I've got Gio Reyna in my attacking line, so I'm kind of hoping Gio Reyna's the one that's going to help kind of uh, play through the the Welsh back line. Um, so my front line, just to to completely reveal it, I've got uh, Ferreira as my number nine, I've got Reyna, and I've got uh, Timothy Weir. So I am concerned about Berhalter using wide men that both like to cut to play inside. I think you have one that plays inside and I think you have one that kind of stretches the pitch. And and so I, I would pretty much always, if he's fit, have, have Timothy Weir to, to, to perform that role. So hopefully Gio Reyna could kind of play inside. You have Dest uh, providing a little bit of width on, um, I know it's not really his game, but overlapping it at times and providing a little bit of width. And that's how you have the width on the right side. And then you've got Weir providing the width on the left side, left side and Ferreira dropping deep and you have players spinning in behind. McKenney, you know, I don't want him bombing on every single time, but Occasionally, be intelligent with making your runs. There'll be some space inside, under, um, in behind Ferreira. So, to answer your question, Joe, no, I don't think Adams, Musa, McKenney do on their own break down Wales, but that's where I'm kind of counting on the attacking line to help yeah. me in that regard. And that's a great answer as well, Graham. I, I think there's lots of different ways this can go, and I think the fact that we don't really have a consensus between us does point that out. Like this is this is a, a challenging thing to figure out for Berhalter. It's going to be difficult. I think there's a lot of key decisions to make here and a lot of things that could go a lot of different ways. And the U.S. also has a, a number of different options that I would feel pretty confident going out on the field and, and saying like, oh, yeah, that lineup is good enough to get the job done. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, this lineup is good enough to get the job done, too. My front line, just, ag- again, operating under the assumption that Gio Reyna isn't ready to start, which I have no idea if that's true or not, other than to say that every time he plays significant minutes for anyone, he gets hurt. And so I am very scared about that. I have Weah on the right, Pulisic on the left, and Jesus Ferreira in the middle of my front three, which turns into not a front three in possession, but at least defensively. Those are the three players that are going to be leading the line. I hope that you all are right in certain ways. I have a Feeling it will be Jesus Ferreira, and I think I would rather it be Josh Sargent. That that is the only thing that I I, I really kind of strongly feel at this point. Now, if it is Jesus Ferreira, I'm going to choose to believe that that's because he showed up in training and did everything that was asked of him. Reminded everybody that he can be that like the guy who, if not scoring goals, facilitates all that attacking play, does all those specific things that Greg Berhalter wants from the attack. Uh, but if it is Josh Sargent. I, that says to me that he is the striker who's come in confident uh, from his time with Norwich, uh, scoring goals with the way he's playing, the physicality he brings, the energy, uh, the dynamism. I think I would like to see Josh Sargent start. If he doesn't, I'm not going to be angry because yeah. I'm going to choose to believe that it means that Greg Berhalter has seen enough from Jesus Ferreira to believe he is the man to get this job done. But if it's Josh Sargent, I will be more confident about the U.S. scoring goals. So so I have Josh Sargent starting the England game mm. over Jesus Ferreira. So Ferreira, obviously that maybe changes if Ferreira scores one or two in the Wales yeah. game, then it be, kind of becomes impossible to drop him. But against Wales, I, I have more faith in Ferreira doing the sort of things that will help unlock a, a low defensive block. Whereas against England, where you probably are going to be playing more in quick transition, we've seen from Sargent this season for Norwich, even when he's when he's playing on the right wing, he's he's making those late runs to the to the back post. So I'm thinking, you know, Pulisic down the left or Weah down the right or whatever, and Sargent making those those kind of late runs to the to the bunt uh, to the sorry the back or the front post. I've got uh, that's what I want Sargent doing in that game. So I would go Ferreira and then Sargent against England. If if Sargent starts, I think it's a signal that Berhalter knows how important set pieces are going to be in this game. I think the difference between Sargent and Ferreira and Haji Wright and whoever you want to play at the nine spot 
are so negligible in open play. Like I just don't think there's a lot that separates one of those strikers from the other. Not that they're the same player. They approach the game differently, but I don't think we have a lot of evidence that like one of them is going to help the U.S. create a lot more in possession than the others. I do think, though, Sargent is much more dangerous on set pieces. And so I think if we see Sargent play, Taylor, to your to your desire here, I guess, I think that's a sign the U.S. is going to try to really be aggressive on those set pieces, which could end up being a really good thing. It also could be dangerous because Wales likes to counter off of the opponent's set pieces. But again, this is going to be a chess match, and I am getting more and more excited about this game the more we talk about it. And, and Joe, forgive me, what was your front three one more time? Wea Pulisic Ferreira. Okay. And and you like Wea, like... Uh, even if he's not quite as technical as Reyna, do you like the, just like the uh, the potential vertical threat from him, or do you feel like I, he also does bring the technical goal scoring uh, skills as well? He brings some of that. I bring Wea to my lineup because I don't feel great about Reyna playing soccer. Yeah. Like I, I, Gio Reyna is the best player in this pool in my mind. He might be the best arm player the U.S. has ever had. Like he is that good. He could be playing for any team in this t- in this tournament in my mind. He's good enough to make any squad in this group, maybe except Brazil, but even that I think he could maybe make it. Uh, I just don't like how injury prone he is, and I'm afraid of him picking up a knock in the first game, like in the first half of this tournament. That feels like something that the U.S. should avoid. Well, maybe you should have given him better hamstrings, Joe, and it's then true. this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it's um, your fault, Joe. I accept. I expect we will talk more about USA Wales uh, in the the but kind of preview of that game. What we tend to do is we review the day's games and then we look ahead, do some specific predicting for the next days. So my guess would be that we'll talk at USA Wales plenty more between now and uh, kickoff. But in the meantime, we do have another game to be discussed. We won't have an opportunity to record before Qatar and Ecuador play each other. Uh, we don't have Ryan Bailey with us, so he starts at a disadvantage because we will be keeping score, gentlemen, and we will be doing specific predictions. Uh, so with that in mind, Graham, for the opener, Qatar versus Ecuador, what is your specific prediction, my friend? So my VSP for this match is that the broadcast commentary will be far too gushing about the stadium. Uh, oh, no. The World Cup is a, a this World Cup's a nightmare for stadium nerds because uh, objectively there's some incredible stadiums, but they have been built by migrant workers treated terribly, um, according to Amnesty International. So it feels wrong to talk them up. But yeah, the, the commentary will be uh, too gushing about the stadium and too gushing about the, the, the World Cup in general. If you want a footballing VSP that you can actually score me on, Taylor Rockwell, uh, Moises Caicedo will make at least one of those big sliding hook tackles that he's so good at at some point in the game. So I'll be looking out for that. Ooh, I do love the sliding hook tackle. It, it is great. The only one that's better than that one is the sticking the ball into the attacker's feet tackle that then sends them flying and then you just stand up yes. with the ball. That is the ultimate beautiful slide tackle, but the hook tackle equally great. Graham, what does overly gushing look like? Because they will certainly be somewhat gushing in their praise for the for mm. the stadium. Like, are we talking three different specific moments where they're like, hey, did I mention how nice the stadium is? Yeah, and talking about, oh, did you see that ah. full buffet in the hospitality <laughs> and media center? <laughs> I can't believe fantastic. how nice everything is. It's almost yeah. like they're doing everything it Everything is purpose. so clean. <laughs> All right, so Moises Caicedo, sliding hook tackle. Uh, Joe, what you got? So my VSP for this game has to do with Qatar and it has to do with Akram Afif who I, I think is a brilliant player. So I, I think that if Afif, who is the the poofy-haired sort of number 10 second forward type for Qatar, if he has more touches than any other attacker in this game for either team, Qatar will win. I think he is influential when he gets on the ball, and if he's getting on the ball enough, I think he's he really is a, a game-breaking kind of talent, especially for a game like this. So I think if Afif has more touches than any other attacker on either team, 
Katara going to pick up three points in the opener. All right. Uh, I said good that you had a Qatar one because I had an Ecuador one. I was hoping we wouldn't all go with Ecuador. Uh, mine is pretty straightforward. Uh, Pervis Estupinian will draw a yellow card. Maybe he'll pick up one, but somebody will get a yellow card for fouling him because I think uh, from what we've seen of him at Brighton this season can be so electric in the attack and can be so good uh, with the ball at his feet getting forward. And I think uh, in this game, maybe there'll be the opportunity for him to kind of spring a surprise to be involved in the attack and maybe Qatar have to go for that professional foul or bring him down somewhat cynically to stop things from developing so he will draw a yellow card he will get a Qatari player yellow carded I like it Taylor I like it I think honestly I think all three of these are achievable like I really do I guess that's the point of VSPs but I don't know wouldn't be surprised if we all picked up some points here yeah and if we don't then we get to discuss why why we're foolish but also why the game didn't go the way we thought it would joe are you leaning towards a qatar win in this one i'm not going to put you uh (laughs) on the spot here and say who's going to win this one but like what is your feeling about this opening game you've uh watched plenty of qatar you did the preview for them yeah i think ecuador have the edge here Mm -hmm. uh pretty clearly i think they are the better team they've played more challenging opposition but i think people sleep on qatar the soccer team a little bit and so I, i do think i have higher expectations for them than some others, they are weaker than most other teams. Not every team, but I would say most other teams in this tournament. But they have talents like a thief who can win them games. And I guess we'll see if that happens on Sunday. There we go. Graham, agree, disagree? Yeah, I think Ecuador. I was just racking my mind there to try and think of a host nation that has lost their first game at World Cup. I can't. Did, what, what was Russia? South did Africa? They, did they win South or Africa draw? drew, okay. did they not? That was the Shab- Shabalala. Yeah. Was that not 1-1? That game. That might have been. So, so I can't really think. I can't remember what Russia's first result was at the last World Cup. But if, if they didn't lose, and they made like the last 16, so there's a good chance they didn't lose. If they didn't lose, then I can't really think of a host nation that's lost they their first game of World Cup. Over yes. Saudi Arabia. Yes, they did. I do remember that now. Um, Russia, Saudi Arabia. That was uh, the neutrals' favorite that match. Um, <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot the photo of was it like Putin, uh, the king of Saudi Arabia, and Johnny Infantino all shaking hands. It's just like that is a supervillain story in the making. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, I do remember that match. But yeah, I can't think of a host nation that's lost their first game at World Cup. So no pressure, Qatar. I'm going to go ahead and say Germany probably didn't in 2006. Uh, yeah, yeah, they smashed Costa Rica in that, that one, wasn't it? They not like when 6-1, Philip Lamb scored an absolute belter in that game. I seem uh, to remember. All right, so Graham remembers things. Uh, may, maybe I don't. Graham thinks he's better than me, and that's fair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, I think it's going to be... I, I would give the edge to Ecuador, but I, I think Graham has made a compelling point that the host nation tends to get that result. Uh, we'll see what the home crowd is like. We'll see what the home support is like and the atmosphere is like. Uh, and we will obviously review these specific predictions when we are all together in New York. That's very exciting to say that the next time we'll be talking soccer, we'll yeah. be all together. Hey-o. Before we do that, we've got one more uh, thing for you. We've got an interview, Joe Lowry. Yeah, so we talked, Ryan Bailey and I talked last week with Landon Donovan about all sorts of different stuff. We asked him for his thoughts on this current U.S. team. He talks on, and, and you'll hear all this momentarily, so I don't need to plug it too much, but he, he talks about sort of what he would tell them and, and sort of how, how their lack of experience could impact things a bit. We talked to him about MLS and USL, and, and Ryan goes deep on some lower league 
UK stuff a little bit where there, there is a bit of a tie there with Landon Donovan. And we had a really good time. I think it's a fun interview. I think it's a good chat with some good insight. And I'm excited for folks to hear it. Here we are. So we're going to take a quick break. We will be back with that chat in just a moment. But for me uh, and uh, Graham and Joe, I will just say thank you for listening. We're very excited to talk to you throughout the World Cup. Uh, check out the Patreon. Check out the live shows. Check out the watch along. Uh, be sure to recommend us to your friends. Tell them about the previews. Uh, spread the word about the Total Soccer Show because we're going to be talking to you a whole bunch in the next month. But for now, we will talk to you soon. And Joe and Ryan will talk to you much sooner. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, Landon Donovan, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on Total Soccer Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the World Cup is only a few days away now. How excited are you for this one in Qatar? I am excited. It's been a weird buildup because usually it's in the summer and you've got like three or four weeks with very little football. For us, Major League Soccer is still usually going a little bit into the summer, but everywhere else in the world, there's a, a big break. So it's been a little bit weird as we lead up. But now that we are firmly here, I'm really excited. Yeah, been a curious uh, few weeks in the buildup with tons of games still happening, right? But um, also you're working the Fox broadcast as well. Are you looking forward to teaming up with Clint Dempsey there? I am. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I've not been to a World Cup when I haven't been playing since 94. 
So when I was 12 years old, so this is, I'm excited for the quote unquote working part. It's not work. It's fun, but (laughs) mostly I'm excited that it's going to be so consolidated. So you're going to have players, fans, media, um, partners, FIFA executive, everyone's going to be together in the same area within the space of a few miles. So it's going to be great to just be a part of that. Okay. Does that mean, so this is the first World Cup in a minute where you're not working as a player. You can maybe have a beer on the plane on the way there or something. I'm going to have plenty of beers on the way and (laughs) and assuming it's okay there, I'm going to have a few too. Excellent. That's what we like to hear. Now, uh, as I say, we're a few days out from the tournament. How do you think the players in the USMNT will be feeling at the moment? If you could give them any advice at this stage, what would it be to calm the nerves or whatever it may be? Yeah, so it's interesting, Ryan, because I, I believe we will have or have the the youngest roster of any team at the World Cup. And generally with that, it can go really well or it can go quite badly fast because you don't have the experience to draw on to get out of tough situations. So I'll give you an example. In 2010, we play the first game against England. We don't play well, but we end up drawing 1-1 and kind of scrapping out a draw. The second game, we're down 2-0 at halftime. But we had a group of like very veteran guys who understood how to get out of that. And we scraped our way to getting a 2-2 draw. So it kept us alive in the third game. And then we win the third game and get out of the group. And my 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 worried side would say if it goes bad early, it's hard. It'll be hard because we don't have the experience to draw on. But if it goes well, confidence, enthusiasm, excitement, social media, talking about all our guys, it could go really well. So that's sort of the way I view this. And my advice would be, man, just have fun because expectations will feel high. But when you're the youngest team at a World Cup, it's there's going to be challenges. So enjoy it. And if you get that enthusiastic side of our U.S. team, I think we can be really good. So, Landon, let me ask you to make sort of a prediction here. I guess it's going to be an informed prediction because, you know, some of these players on the U.S. team, you know them and you you know a lot about them. Which way will this group go then on the experience front? Is the lack of it going to be useful for the personalities of this group? Or do you think they're going to be wanting for a steady hand to guide them through this tournament? So my prediction, Joe, is that it all hinges on the first game against Wales. I think if that game goes well, we win the game. I think confidence will be high. You go into the England game knowing you can still lose and get out of the group. Um, But confidence soaring and saying, we can beat these guys. A lot of our guys play with these guys or have played with these guys or against these guys. So they're not going to be scared, right? They know they can compete with these guys. Um, If the Wales game doesn't go well, then it's going to be a real challenge because the England game is tough. And if you lose the Wales game and you lose the England game, you're almost positively out. So I think that's it's a lot's going to hinge on that first game. And statistically, any first game of a World Cup is crucial, um, not only because of what it means for you in the group, but just confidence wise. And so I'm going to I mean, I'm going to be paying close attention to that first game. Doesn't mean things can't change one way or the other. But I think if it goes well, it can go really well and we can get out of the group. And if not, uh, it's going to be really tough. Yeah, so let's talk again about a stretch that was tough for the U.S., and I'm thinking back to September. It was ugly for the U.S. against Japan and against Saudi Arabia. I'm sure you watched those games. What do you think about some of the negativity around the USMNT right now? Because to me, it feels like it's at borderline all-time high post-Kuva at the very least. Are people landing too bent out of shape about those friendlies, or are there actual causes for concerns when you add those to some some of the previous issues we've seen from the U.S. in World Cup qualifying? 
My first comment is that I'm glad people are angry because it means people care. And you guys are too young to remember, but there was a time when it didn't matter how we did leading up to the World Cup because people weren't paying attention. So that's my first comment. My second is normally you would say, don't worry too much about it because we have time before the World Cup starts. So by way of example, if this happened in April of a normal World Cup year, you'd get together for three or four weeks in May and June, play a couple friendlies, get prepared, get some confidence, and then go into the tournament. The problem this time is the U.S. guys play on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday they're flying to Qatar. Tuesday they probably have the day off. Wednesday they start training, and you've got five days to prepare. You don't have you have no time to really gel as a team. You have no matches to play, and so that that makes you a little more concerned that the the last few results and performances didn't go well. But that being said. This team does have a lot of experiences together. I don't say I wouldn't say they're very experienced, but they do have a lot of experiences together. So hopefully it gels quickly when they get to Qatar. So you got us back a little bit more on the positive train, which I do appreciate. So I want to stick in that (laughs) sort of mentality here. Lyndon, for you, which U.S. men's national team players do you think are poised for a big World Cup? Are there one or two names that are maybe under the radar ever so slightly that stick out to you? Well, I think for hardcore fans, they'll know this, but for less hardcore fans, um, obviously Christian Pulisic um, at his best is electrifying. Uh, the problem is, is he's not played a ton lately. And so you can't say that he's in top, top form, but I, I'm confident that Christian will get there quickly. I, for me, the name that the player playing best right now is Brendan Aronson at Leeds and not a name that tons of U.S., sports fans will know us soccer fans know him but us sports fans won't but he's playing at at i think the very top of his game and then the good news for us right now is that Gio reina has been playing consistently now for dortmund over the last few weeks and knock on wood has stayed healthy and he can be a real game changer so that's left me optimistic um lack of playing time for a few guys uh leads to some pessimism but hopefully it gels quickly when they get to Qatar. Uh, I'm going to ask you probably the trickiest question you'll face today, Landon. Uh, I want your prediction for the USMNT in this group. Uh, where, where the USMNT is going to finish? What do you think? I think we finish second and get out of the group, but I think it'll be a bit more challenging than casual fans think. I mean, when casual fans look, they say, oh, Iran and Wales, that's easy. Of course, we're better than them. They have no clue that those are, one, good teams, but two, the challenge, especially with Iran, with so many Iranians, with so many Persians across the Gulf that will fill up the stadium in Qatar, that's going to be a challenging game. So I do think we'll get out of the group, but it is going to be a challenge. Yeah, and I think that Iran game is going to be more challenging than people think as well. I think you're quite right there, Landon. The way they're going to defend, they might, you know, make it difficult to play pretty soccer and to get through them too, right? And they have a very, very good and experienced coach in Carlos Quiroz, who's, you know, he will know this this U.S. team inside out and will will plan accordingly. And they've got, you know, they're the opposite of the U.S. team. Experienced guys who have played a lot together. So when you play in Iran or Saudi Arabia, you a lot of times most of those players will play their club football in Iran. And so that also means over the last three or four months, while U.S. players haven't really seen a lot of each other, they'll have camps during the week where those guys are getting together and, and staying, keeping continuity and playing together. So they sort of have the opposite of that. 
after you've watched this U.S. team play, Landon, do you think there's a particular type of opponent, not in terms of quality, but in terms of style, that suits the U.S. better? Is the U.S. better against a team that's going to mm-hmm. extend themselves? Is the U.S. better against a team that maybe is a little lower on quality, like Iran, relative to a team like England, but who's going to then sit a little bit deeper? What do you, what do you see as being a good matchup for the U.S.? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, still tough to say would be my answer. Um, sometimes where we've struggled in recent past is in trying to build and play out of the back and get and making a mistake. So when you don't have the experience to know, okay, this is not a great moment to continue trying to play out of the back. Let's just be more direct and, and play behind an opponent. When you don't have enough of that experience to know that you can get picked off and and can lead to a goal. And what I always say in world cups is every play matters. And it's a, it's a stupid thing to hear because you say, of course it does in every sporting event and every, but it's magnified. So over the course of a club season, when you have 30 plus games, you make a mistake in the 12th game and it's, you know, whatever you lose one zero because of it, you can get better and practice whatever in a world cup, you can make one mistake and one play can literally change the course of whether you get out of the group or not. And so that's going to be, you know, that type of opponent who comes after us and presses us. Japan did that against yeah. us in the friendly recently. That can be really challenging. So, you know, are we smart enough um, to make those kind of decisions to make sure that we're not giving away free goals? So you did a beat on Iran there. We've talked about the U.S. As you've been prepping for helping on the broadcast side for this tournament, Landon, are there any other teams or players that have stood out to you in your research? Well, lots. You mean for any team? Yeah, just things that you thought were interesting that maybe you didn't see before or didn't know as yeah. much about before you dove they're, in. They're just, there are lots of teams for casual soccer fans that are still under the radar. You know, a team like Serbia is very good. Cameroon, really interesting. Um, and playing in a hot weather climate, relatively close to, to, to Africa. Right. And so there's a lot of interesting storylines with teams like that. There's a lot of unknowns, right. Even for us, like the Welsh team still relatively like unknown to, to a lot of American soccer fans, uh, Saudi Arabia is an interesting one just because they are literally across the border from Qatar. And you would expect they'll have 40, 50, 60,000 fans in the stadium would be my expectation. And so what kind of boost does that give them? Right. So there's there's lots of interesting teams. Ecuador coming out of a really difficult South American qualifying where really good teams like Colombia and Chile didn't advance. So there's going to be a there, there will be a surprise somewhere along the way. A team like that, there will be a surprise, in my opinion, especially in a warm weather climate where historically teams who play in cold weather do not do well. So you think of all the European teams that are not used to that. And that I think that will play a factor too. Ryan, I don't know if you heard that, but Landon just said England are going out in the group yeah. stage. Cold weather. Yeah, I, I don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. I'm just saying. I heard. Yeah, we're not built for the weather. That's totally. Can't wait for, uh, yeah, can't wait for that headline. Thanks, guys. <laughs> well, on, on that note, on and, and the warm climate, Landon, uh, Argentina and Brazil are tipped to yeah. win the thing. Do you do you back that? Do you think the South American teams will have the edge? I I, I pick Brazil, yeah. I think more so than Argentina. Um, They just have so many horses and so many weapons that it's hard to envision a scenario where they aren't good enough to win. And what teams forget or what people forget about top, top teams, you have the ability to rotate players quite freely and easily during the group, which saves you a game or two on your legs 
throughout the season. And historically, that's more important because it's generally at the end of a long European season that that comes into play. This won't be as much of a factor because all the teams and players who play in Europe are fresher. But there is so much value in having getting to rest Neymar for a game if you need to, right? Just by way of example. And if, if you're able to do that or two games, you never know. That just that that gives you the ability to be really, really good at the end. Yeah, must be nice. Um, to turn our attention yeah, to domestic, nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, to, to talk domestically, Landon, how are things going with San Diego with the loyal? Um, obviously made the postseason this season. What what have you learned from your experiences there so far? I've learned a lot that's going to help me in the broadcasting. Um, looking at the game differently through a a lens of a manager is quite different. Um, you look at the whole field and all 22 players versus when you're a player, you're basically focused on yourself or the guys around you for the most part. So I've learned a lot in that way. Um, I've just, I've grown a lot as a, as a human being trying to lead young men every day and and they have different challenges. You know, Premier League players have the challenge of what do I do with all this fame and money and how does that impact me? But when you're in a lower league, it it the the more real challenges are you know these guys have to feed their families and what does that look like and so when you go through COVID and you're trying to manage human beings in that way it's very challenging so it's taught me a lot. So Landon, for you as someone who's been involved in the USL, what do you think the next step is for that organization? How do they continue to raise their profile both domestically, which I think we are seeing, and then also globally as well? Well, I think we're trying to just raise the game and the sport, right? So many years ago. There wasn't even, you know, there wasn't a vibrant first division in our country, much less now we have a vibrant second division. We wouldn't be having, you know, we wouldn't be having conversations like this in depth because the sport just wasn't ready for it. We wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't be having a partners, you know, this morning I did something with U.S. soccer on Good Morning America. Like that didn't happen in the past. Now I get to partner with these amazing people from avocados from Mexico, right? So all these things weren't happening many, many years ago. So we have constantly tried to grow the sport in an authentic way. And that's a challenge. That's something, Ryan, you guys, you know, in England haven't had to worry about, but that's something we're always trying to do. So we're we're just trying to grow the game. Um, I always felt like not only was I a player, but I was an ambassador for the sport and trying to make the sport better. And it's pretty remarkable to see how far it's come. I was at the MLS Cup final last weekend, LAFC against Philly, and just being in that stadium and seeing that. I used to feel it as a player with the Galaxy, but seeing it as a fan was just remarkable. So it's it's cool to see how far the sport has come. Definitely. So, And USL seems, um, from, from, from the uh, front office of USL, they seem interested in doing things a little differently, not just with the pro player pathways and stuff like that, but even like, changing to a winter calendar there's been discussion of that kind of thing what do you think about that kind of innovation in the u.s soccer space it would certainly help in a lot of ways um there's no question especially with international call-ups and that kind of stuff um as you know the challenge in our country is weather right so through the winter in the the northern cities uh minneapolis toronto montreal could be quite challenging and difficult I think in a perfect world, everyone would want to do that and move that way. Um, but I, you know, fortunately it's way above my pay grade to make those decisions because that would be a challenge. 
Um, but I think it would be it would be nice to be on the international calendar so we could have um we could have continuity throughout. That would be, you know, I would like that as just a fan of the game. I would like that. Definitely so. Now you mentioned you were at MLS Cup uh um recently. Uh Joe Larry was there too. You, you should wait hey, to oh. him. <laughs> um, Don Garber mentioned at the game that he mentioned San Diego as a city in active discussion for an, for an MLS expansion bid. I, if I'm not mistaken, you've been involved in that kind of conversation before, Landon. What's your thoughts on that as uh, San Diego as an MLS city? Well, it is it is certainly built to be an MLS city. It's top ten market in the country. Uh, generally speaking, MLS wants three things: a market that is good for their growth. San Diego is also, you know, I live 20 minutes from the Mexican border. Um, so I have deep, deep ties to Mexicans. Now I live close to Mexico. Um, so a good market, a stadium that works. We we now have a stadium in San Diego that San Diego state built that is built also to accommodate major league soccer. And, and then third, you need someone really wealthy. So I asked Joe Lowry to be that person, but he declined. <laughs> um, but you need someone uh, who's, who's willing to do that. And, and this is nothing that hasn't been reported already, but now there's a group very interested in in funding it. And so I think if, if all goes well, um, I think that's very viable. We've been very fortunate to have a great relationship in USL. We've built, a, I think, a brand that is somewhat relevant, um, certainly in San Diego relevant, and that people are proud of. And my goal day to day is to make us as San Diego loyal as good as possible in every way. And I think we've done a good job of that. We're certainly not perfect, but we've tried to do a great job of that. Yeah, Landon, I don't know how I missed that email from you. Maybe it came in on a fax machine <laughs> or something like that. Either way, I got, I got another MLS question for you. Does does MLS have to change its structure as the league continues to grow in size? So I, I cover this league on a weekly basis, and there are a lot of games. Do you think it has any sort of negative impact on the competition itself, or or is it fine for it to grow to 30 or 32 teams in its current structure? Yeah, I guess so. You're just saying there's just too many games to cover? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm complaining on, on behalf of myself, but I think at a certain point you run into more and more unbalanced schedules, and some of those things do yeah. come into question. Do you feel that at all, or is that is that not really a concern? Well, our country is just so big. So if you compare it to the Premier League, you know, there's 20 teams, right? Um, but there, there's certainly enough bandwidth with with lower division football in, in England, too. But our country is so big and there are so many deserving cities. We're just we're talking about San Diego, right? Vegas, another deserving city. Phoenix, another deserving city. There are so many big Detroit. Um, where do you stop if you have people who are interested and want to help grow the sport in that way? So it's a tough I guess, give and take for the league to decide how many teams is too many. My guess is that eventually maybe they'll go to, to multiple leagues, right? And some, you know, I don't have any inside info, but some form of maybe promotion relegation within two leagues where owners know what they're getting into ahead of time, know they can be relegated. And so let's just call it MLS two for lack of a better word. Uh, but it allows more and more people and, and cities to get in because people want the opportunity to be a part of it. Fan bases want the opportunity to be a part of it. Now, Landon, you mentioned um, lower league English soccer there, and I, I was kind of surprised to see your involvement with Lincoln City. I saw a cute picture of your kids uh, on Instagram with the Lincoln shirts on. How, how did you I, – I, I, I was so – tell us how that happened, basically. I was <laughs> interested. Yeah. So I have a very good family friend – 
who has been looking at investing in a European lower division team for many years since I've known him. And through an agent, actually, that we really like and respect, he brought Lincoln City to this gentleman and said, are you interested in looking at this? And I was sort of part of the process, but didn't have a lot to do with it. As we just started to getting, as we started getting to know the people at Lincoln City, and I, and I stress the people, um, we both kind of just fell in love with them. And then as you start to follow the club, the fans, you then, you can't help but fall in love with that too. And so he became a, a partial owner. I became a very, very small partial owner, um, just to give us something to root for. That's fun. And, and mostly, you know, the chairman Clive Nates is a fantastic human being CEO, Liam sporting director, jazz have become very good friends. We bounce ideas off of each other. They came out and visited and watched loyal play last year, watched the Padres play. Um, we're very excited to be a part of that. So it's become a, a really good relationship. I was over there last year and, and went to their match at Cheltenham which was really enjoyable. So I've, I've really just enjoyed being a part of it. I don't have anything to do with any decisions that happen there. Thankfully, nobody wants that. Um, but it's been, it's been a really fun relationship to be a part of. Yeah, Lincoln's a little different from Southern California, right? Uh, you could say that. Um, <laughs> you know, I was talking about this partnership with avocados from Mexico. They don't, one, they don't know what avocados are. And two, if they've ever seen one, they're, they're uh, beat up and old and and not in good condition. So there's a lot of differences, the uh, weather clearly, but in the end, just good human beings. And you can find good human beings in any part of the world. And I've really enjoyed getting to know them. That is definitely the case. Landon Donovan, it's been an absolute pleasure spending some time with you today. Uh, one last thing to talk about, that is avocados from Mexico. Um, what, what are you doing with uh, avocados from Mexico? And I understand there's some kind of giveaway happening here. Yeah, I appreciate you asking. I'm, I'm, um, try to be particular about who I partner with. I grew up in Southern California. So when you grow up a sports fan in Southern California, you basically have no choice but to love avocados and guac because all we do is eat chips. It's it's your version of fish and chips maybe, or I don't know. All we do is, <laughs> is eat chips and guacamole all day, as Joe knows. Um, so growing up there, I obviously have a, a close connection to Mexico, Mexicans. They were responsible for how I play as a player and um, I, I appreciate the opportunity to to partner with them. And then we just wanted to make it fun. And as of today, um, people can go to afmguacgiveaway.com and sign up for a chance that if the U.S. get to the final, I know you're going to laugh at that, but you never know, Ryan. If the U.S. get to the final, we're going to give away free guac um, to people. So if you didn't want to get behind the team before, now you have real incentive. And uh, I'm I'm proud to to be partnered, and um, it's been a great partnership. That's fantastic. We'll put that uh, e uh, address in our show notes as well. Uh, one final question from me, then: What is the best way to have guac? Is it with chips? Is it in a taco? You 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 should be an authority on this. You tell me first, Ryan. What's yours? I'd say in, in some kind of taco, right? Or you mentioned chips. Now I'm not sure. Joe, do you want to educate him? I'm going chips. I'm going chips all day long, personally. I, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but for me, chips and, and guac is undefeated. Yeah, you're clearly a Brit, Ryan. And, and the beauty of, <laughs> you know, growing up, the beauty of avocados from Mexico is they are always good. And, and you don't know this, but when you get an avocado that's bad, it's a real, real buzzkill. So 
Um, that's the beauty. One day we'll get you out to San Diego, have some real guac, not in a taco with some chips uh, <laughs> and a beer. And we'll watch, uh, maybe we'll watch American football just to really Americanize you. I would love that. I'm a Brit though, so even salt is spicy for me. So I warn you. <laughs> oh, Ryan. You, you don't have to, you don't have to have it way. spicy. I put mango in mine. Mango is really good in guac. Ooh. Wow. That yeah. sounds like a good combo. Yeah, All right, Landon Donovan, we've taken up plenty of your time. Thank you again for joining us on Total Soccer Show. Have a wonderful time in Qatar. We look forward to it. We look forward to seeing you on the broadcast. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.